Your History is a new podcast brought to you from The Times, and it brings together the real-life stories from our obituaries desk, which have been published for over a century. In this brand new show, we build on this legacy and explore the endlessly fascinating lives who have enriched and informed our own. Join me and our sponsor, Ancestry, as we journey through your history. ACAST powers the world's best podcasts. Here's a show that we recommend. This is Roundabout Season 2, and we're back to share more stories from the road and the memories made along the way. We're talking rest stops. If we're stopping to get gas, you will be timed. (laughs) (laughs) You will be right. Misguided plans. I grew up in the city, so I have like... You know, a healthy fear of real extreme darkness. <laughs> this was like wilderness. A lot of laughs. Y'all weird, but you, <laughs> yeah, you, you were different. Like, you were real different, bro. I can't really put my finger on it. And so much more. Just goes to show that unexpected yeah. things sometimes are the best when it comes to a road trip. Roundabout Season 2, presented by Nissan, is live now with new episodes rolling out every Thursday. Listen and subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. Acast helps creators launch, grow, and monetize their podcasts everywhere. Acast.com Every Monday, this August... We're looking back at some of the stories from the past year that have really stuck with us. Today, we're going back to Hong Kong. In June 2020, with the world's attention on the pandemic, the city's freedoms were under threat. People fear that we're going to lose our freedoms personal safety, the rule of law and all that, and become just another Chinese city. Democracy protesters took a stand against a new Chinese national security law. Boris Johnson offered a route to UK citizenship for up to three million people from Hong Kong. People in Hong Kong, they have seen this as one victory, a small one, I have to say. (laughs) But nevertheless, it's a small victory. Last June, we spoke to our correspondent in Beijing and to two of Hong Kong's leading pro-democracy activists. One of them has stayed on to carry on the fight. Another has since fled to London. We're revisiting that episode, and I'll be back at the end with an update on where things stand in August 2021. You're listening to Stories of Our Times from The Times and The Sunday Times. I'm Manveen Rana. Today... The struggle for the soul of Hong Kong. Prime Minister, on Wednesday you signed an agreement with China promising to deliver over 5 million people into the hands of a communist dictatorship. It's 1984. The grainy video that survives from that time shows a press conference with the British Prime Minister, Margaret Thatcher, sitting stiffly behind a desk, fielding questions from the press. So I was sent to cover that press conference. Emily Lau is now a veteran of the Hong Kong pro-democracy movement and a former chairperson of the Hong Kong Democratic Party. 
And then I ask her a question. Is this morally defensible? Or is it really true that in international politics, the highest form of morality is one's own national interest? At that time, Hong Kong was still a British colony. Not democratic, but with some rights and freedoms, including freedom of speech, that is still absent in mainland China. And Mrs Thatcher had just signed an agreement setting out what would happen when the UK transferred sovereignty over Hong Kong to China. And she said, oh, let me tell you this. Can I just say this to you? What do you think would have happened if we had not attempted to get an agreement? She was so condescending and a very, very arrogant. 1997, 92% of the territory would automatically have returned to China. It's classic, classic Thatcher. And then in the end, she said, everyone is happy with the agreement, and I may be a solitary exception. And I believe that most of the people, indeed the overwhelming number of people in Hong Kong, think the same. You may be a solitary exception. <laughs> that's that's a classic Maggie, isn't it? <laughs> oh dear. So, in order to prove the Iron Lady wrong, I got myself elected in 1991 with a whopping majority to prove that you weren't a, a solitary exception. Exactly. But this question I put to her in 1984 has come back to haunt us in 2020. China's national parliament has approved a controversial national security law for Hong Kong, which criminalizes acts of sedition Members and terrorism. The Chinese legislature, the National People's Congress, have overwhelmingly endorsed sweeping and controversial new security laws for Hong Kong. Uh, from China's perspective, is meant to uh, protect what Chinese officials have been describing as a defenseless city. Uh, the new democracy activists say they fear the end of Hong Kong after China announced plans to enforce new national security laws in the semi-autonomous region. The Chinese government has decided to foist a national security law on Hong Kong without consulting us. And the people fear that we're going to lose our freedoms, personal safety, the rule of law and all that, and become just another Chinese city. Well, Maggie's no longer around, but Emily Lau is. <laughs> and I'm still fighting, still asking the British government to do the honourable thing. The new national security law is at the centre of the latest tensions in Hong Kong. I asked the Times Beijing correspondent, Didi Tang, to talk me through the history of Hong Kong's relationship with China and what this new law would mean. Take us back to basics for people who who don't know very much about the the history of Hong Kong. Could you just explain how we've got here? What is the one country, two systems idea, and how did it come about? Well, Hong Kong started as a fishing village many many centuries ago, and the British troops came over, and then they wanted a free port. So the Qing Dynasty basically gave away. Hong Kong to the British for like 99-year lease. 
Let's move forward to 1949, and the Communist Party won the Civil War in China and they founded the People's Republic of China. And the 99 lease was over in 1997. So in the 1980s, Chinese government negotiated a deal with the British government to take back Hong Kong. Hong Kong and China had very different political economic paths. China was very socialist. By contrast, you know, Hong Kong was under British rule. It has developed and has a lot more kind of, you know, Western style of values. So there were questions about if, you know, the lifestyle of Hong Kong was going to change. So Deng Xiaoping, at the time, the Supreme Leader of China came up with this one country, two systems framework. Basically, Hong Kong will be under the sovereignty of the Beijing government, but then it will have a high degree of autonomy. Other than two things, I think diplomacy and defense, they fall into the Chinese government's jurisdiction. But otherwise, the freedom of speech, the common law legal system were kept intact in Hong Kong. So even after Hong Kong was handed back to China, you carried on with one country, two different legal systems, two different cultures, really because it was still beneficial to mainland China to keep it like that. So what's happened now? Tell me about this new national security law. So what happened, let's kind of go back to 2008 yeah. a little bit. You know, after Hong Kong was handed over to China in 1997, China actually kept its promise and then basically left Hong Kong alone. And by 2008, I think the confidence in Beijing, probably was the highest in Hong Kong because people they over there in Hong Kong they identify themselves as Chinese as well as Hong Kongers. Yeah, they were proud to be Chinese citizens. But after two thousand eight, I think things started to change. That was the Olympic Games. I think you know, leading everything leading up to two thousand eight. The Summer Olympics in Beijing, I think China was trying to build this image of being very open. But after 2008, I think the policy started to shift a little more inward. Ah, so once the games were over, they didn't have to maintain the image. Right. So by 2012, the Chinese government started to say, look, you know, we wanted to introduce patriotic education in Hong Kong. That was in 2012. Patriotic education, what does that mean? Right which means, you know, people in Hong Kong, they needed to better identify themselves as Chinese. So they wanted to teach Hong Kong students, you know, the Chinese history, the way the Communist Party wanted to be taught. Right. So you can imagine there was a huge pushback in 2012. And as, you know, local people say, you know, that was brainwashing, that was, you know, indoctrination. Yeah. And in 2012, actually, there was a success. The Chinese government basically backed off. So that sort of emboldened local people in Hong Kong. You have to remember in Hong Kong, people, they don't have the right to elect a top executive, but then they have found the right to protest has been a very effective way for them to voice you know, public opinions, to tell the government what they think. They can protest, but they can't vote for their own leaders. No, they can't, but they can protest. And then came 2014, the umbrella movement. Chinese government had promised to give Hong Kong people more rights in electing their chief executive, the top leader. The government in Beijing, they came up with a proposal limiting the choices for Hong Kong people to nominate candidates for that position. So that the, the nomination will still be tightly controlled by Beijing. 
So of course, you know, people in Hong Kong were not pleased. So they started this umbrella movement in 2014. They use umbrellas to fend off, you know, the tear gas from the police. None of the appeals were met in 2014. And then in 2015... A deepening mystery in Hong Kong sounds like the plot of a political thriller. This could be a plot for a bestseller. But it's all too real. Five men who work for a publisher in Hong Kong have vanished. All of them are connected to a publishing company and a bookstore. Tucked up a cramped staircase, it doesn't look like much of a threat. But the gossipy, salacious titles on the wall criticized China's leaders. Mysterious events around a Hong Kong bookshop started to worry residents about Beijing extending its power even further. Tell me about that. Hong Kong always has, you know, boasts like free press. So there was a bookstore which was quite famous called the Causeway Bay Bookstore. And then they sold those gossip titles on Chinese leaders. And some of them, they were, you know, just outlandish. But it was kind of fun, you know. They just, they were, they were able to publish those, like, you know, gossip titles. The private lives of the great and good in China. Right, you know, lots of gossip. And then mainland tourists going to Hong Kong, they will always go to Causeway Bay, you know, the bookstore, because they can pick up some of the books they will never be able to get back in the mainland. At the end of 2015, the key members of the bookstore, they started to disappear. Wow. The owner, he actually was in Thailand at the time, and he disappeared. And then he, apparently he was kidnapped by the Chinese agents. So that was the time that I started to plant fears in the hearts of Hong Kong people saying, look, you know, yeah. Beijing's arm was getting longer, right? If people in Hong Kong are suddenly disappearing, yeah, that must be alarming. Right, right. You know, you should be safe from the, you know, from the influences of the Chinese government. In 2019, tensions continued to rise. Protesters took to the streets to oppose a new extradition law, which would have meant that Hong Kongers could be extradited to mainland China to face a very different justice system. Thousands upon thousands turned out to continue a weekend of demonstrations against the government here. Mayhem keeping its momentum. What started as a protest against an extradition treaty with China has morphed into something far more serious, an actual questioning of what Hong Kong actually is. And so it seems this city will fight on. But then, COVID-19 changed everything. Everything stopped. And then you thought at that time was like that was a kind of perfect opportunity, right? Because, you know, people were not coming out into the streets, not in the large numbers that you would imagine. Yeah. And then the question was, huh, is this movement, you know, was losing its momentum, right? If it loses its momentum, sort of it was just fizzles. China has used this opportunity to impose new national security legislation on Hong Kong, which would make it illegal to commit anything that could be seen as an act of subversion in the eyes of the Chinese government. Usually the process will be six months, but we believe, you know, this whole process will be fast-tracked to to within weeks, could be introduced as soon as the end of this month. And we will see the details because another thing is we don't know the details of this national security legislation. So it will be passed. You know, I'm pretty, I'm 100% sure, you know, it's certain. Mm -hmm. We know overall they want to outlaw uh, certain things, subversion, 
separatism. And when you say subversion, would that include all protests as we've seen them? Would, would they count? See, that's we don't know the definition exactly. The devil is in the detail, but we don't know. So that's why there's a lot of uncertainty. And I think people are thinking the worst now. One country, two systems is the essence of the whole handover. Why Hong Kong people should put their hearts at ease is because there will be one country, two systems for 50 years from 1997 to 2047. And we can keep our free lifestyle, our freedoms and so on. And the mainland way of doing things will not happen in Hong Kong. But now if there is a national law coming to Hong Kong and they will send their people here to implement the law, then one country, two system is gone. It's like driving a truck through the joint declaration. That's why even Boris Johnson said if this law is passed, it could be in breach of the Sino-British joint declaration. How has Boris Johnson's offer to give Hong Kong residents who have an overseas British passport, to give them the right to come and live and work in Britain. How has that gone down? I think it has gone down pretty well. People in Hong Kong, they have seen this one as as one victory, a small one, I have to say. But nevertheless, it's a small victory. In Hong Kong, the protests have been trying to, you know, gain support from international community. And then they see Boris Johnson's offer as part of this whole overall kind of a plan to have foreign governments putting pressures on the Chinese government. So it helps. It's not enough, but it helps. Your History is a new podcast brought to you from The Times, And it brings together the real-life stories from our obituaries desk, which have been published for over a century. In this brand new show, we build on this legacy and explore the endlessly fascinating lives who have enriched and informed our own. Join me and our sponsor, Ancestry, as we journey through your history. Nathan Law is a pro-democracy activist in Hong Kong. And I'm a former lawmaker and a founding chairman of a pro-democracy group, Demosisto. He returned for lockdown from the US, where he's finishing a master's degree at Yale. He was horrified by the new law being proposed by the Chinese government and hopes the international community will do more. Well, of course, the international community should impose measures to hold China accountable. And as a co-signer in the British Joint Declaration in 1984 and Hong Kong as a former colony of the British Empire, that for now, UK has certain obligation and a moral responsibility to the well-being of Hong Kong people. How many people would be granted more rights to live in the UK will be subjected to far more detailed discussion. What do you make of Boris Johnson's offer of allowing people from Hong Kong, people with uh, British overseas passports, to come and live and potentially work in Britain for 12 months at a time? I think it is a step in the right direction. 
but it's not enough. At this juncture, I think what these BNO passport holders deserve is certainty and assurance. How does Boris Johnson's stance, how does it compare with the Thatcher years that you experienced? Well, of course, Thatcher offered nothing. (laughs) And actually, even up to last year, the British government, Dominic Raab, was telling Parliament that to give the right of abode or citizenship to the BNO passport holders would be in breach of the Sino-British Joint Declaration. What have Hong Kong and UK relations been like uh, in the recent past? What have you made of the British government's stance towards Hong Kong over the years? Many Hong Kong people think that Britain cares a lot about its commercial interest and they just want to make money. And you have heard your ministers talking about this golden era of British and Chinese relationship. Yeah. And uh, they look at the Chinese market as a big pot of gold. And the Hong Kong people play very little role in all that. In, in the past 20-odd years, whenever I met uh, British officials uh, and members of parliament, of course, I always uh, took them to task about just giving the Hong Kong people a BNO passport. And I said, do you know what BNO stands for it's britain says no (laughs) i think it's utterly disgraceful and every time i said that they just threw their hands up in the air (laughs) do you think china announced this new national security law during the coronavirus pandemic because there would be a more muted response in hong kong i think many people agree that the communist party made the decision to foist this law on us during the pandemic, thinking that the international community uh, would, not, would not have time to react because they have so many problems on their hands. And they think that because of the pandemic, people are too preoccupied. So that is the best time to do it. Let's rush it through and nobody would care. What would it mean for Hong Kong if... It was an end of one country, two systems. Well, that means we would just be another Chinese city. If I'm talking to you, if I'm in mainland China, I would be arrested. That's why people were very scared when the British and the Chinese were negotiating. And that's why the Paramount leader, Deng Xiaoping, told us not to be scared. Because there will be one country, two systems. No communist carters will be sent to run Hong Kong and we can continue our free lifestyle. That's what we were promised. But now people say, oh my God, it's not true. We are very scared. If that system is lost, if it's the end of one country, two systems, and China does take much more control over Hong Kong's fate, what will you do? Well, I think we will stay and fight. Hong Kong is our home, so we will stay here and, and let's see what happens. And some people think that if the government becomes very harsh, they will start arresting activists or they will close down newspaper. And you'd stay and, and despite that? I think it is important for those of us who, who believe in, you know, fighting for the future of Hong Kong to stay and do our part. But there is a chance that Boris Johnson's offer 
might backfire. Nathan was born on mainland China, so the UK's offer wouldn't apply to him. It only applies to people born in Hong Kong before 1997. So most of the young protesters in Hong Kong right now wouldn't qualify. It does not apply to everyone. And for me, it is, of course, like leaving Hong Kong is one way to vow your anger. But on the other hand, we also need people to stay in Hong Kong to resist. So I think for now, we we need to give people opportunity to sustain their life, to ensure that they're not being heavily suppressed by the Chinese government. On the other hand, well, there are people protesting on the street, defending and safeguarding their city, even though they had to face some cause. This is also very important. And I hope that not only for the UK, but the international community should act well and not being frightened by the expansionist power of China. It's a, a David and Goliath battle. <laughs> yes, definitely. I mean, knowing that Hong Kong does seem to be on this march towards becoming much closer to mainland China and to its values, do you ever think about leaving? Well, um, not for me. I had studied in the US for um, almost nine months. And I recognize that there's no feeling like home if you are not in Hong Kong. I have an obligation to be back and stay here and been through all the difficult times with the other fellows. So, yeah, for now, like, leaving is not an option for me. Is there a chance that Boris Johnson might accidentally have handed Hong Kong over to the Chinese completely, culturally, by allowing the people who were sort of trying to stand up for its values to leave? That I don't know. The people who are eligible to move, they tend to be older people, mm. and older people tend to be more friendly to Beijing. And so, which means Boris Johnson, you know, policy actually is benefiting uh, the population it does not intend for. Gosh, that's interesting. Yeah, you're right because a lot of the a lot of the protesters are the students who wouldn't qualify. They wouldn't qualify because anyone who is who was born after July 1, 1997, after the handover, they're not eligible for the BNO passports. Yeah. They cannot go to the UK. Emily Lau wrote a letter to The Times setting up what she thought would happen next. 36 years later, my worst fear is coming to pass. The only way out is for Britain to offer right of abode or full citizenship to the Hong Kong people. Anything less would be treacherous and dishonorable. Are you hopeful about the future of Hong Kong? Well, we just have to continue fighting. And actually, my dear friend, if you look around the world, there are many places going up in flames. Hong Kong is not yet that bad. But you know, if I say I'm hopeful, I'm optimistic, you will say, oh, Emily, were you born yesterday? You're living under Chinese communist rule. <laughs> but I have to be. As some people say, hey, Emily, why change your habit of a lifetime? <laughs> so I will continue.
That was last June. Now back to the present and August 2021. The national security law was passed three weeks after we first broadcast this episode. More than 10,000 people have been arrested for political offences in the past year. Last week, the Hong Kong government said its population declined by 89,000 in a year, after 18 years of solid growth. In the first two months since the British government opened the visa scheme, 34,000 people applied. The Times reported last week that spies from the Chinese mainland are trying to infiltrate the entry process as sleeper agents. A fresh anxiety for those who fled. True to her word, Emily Lau remains in Hong Kong. Nathan Law was able to get to the UK after all. He was granted asylum in April 2021. He spoke to the Times on his arrival in London. I still have to live uh, quite a discreet life, even though I'm granted asylum status in the UK. But I'm also worried about my personal safety. We all understand how extensive China's reach could be. There have been multiple cases about um, exile activists being harassed, intimidated or being assaulted by authoritarian regimes like the Chinese government. So um, for now, I'm, I'm just um, being very cautious and vigilant about my surroundings. I decided to flee Hong Kong because uh, if I were to stay in Hong Kong, I would be locked in jail for decades, possibly. The government criminalized the act of speaking out um, a lot of people who had merely voicing their opposition to the government were arrested. So there has been a shift of responsibility of speaking up for Hong Kong to the people overseas or the exiled activists. You've been listening to Stories of Our Times, a podcast brought to you thanks to the subscribers of The Times and The Sunday Times, with me, Manveen Rana, and my guests, The Times Beijing correspondent Didi Tang, former leader of the Hong Kong Democratic Party, Emily Lau, and pro-democracy activist Nathan Law. You can read all of Didi's work at thetimes.co.uk or in print. The producers were Asia Fuchs, James Shield and Leona Hamid. Sound design was by Nicola Rawfast and David Crackles. If you'd like to get in touch with any ideas for stories you'd like us to look into or any thoughts on what you've just heard, then do drop us a line to storiesofourtimes at thetimes.co.uk. Thanks for listening. See you tomorrow. Your History is a new podcast brought to you from The Times and it brings together the real-life stories from our obituaries desk, which have been published for over a century. In this brand new show, we build on this legacy and explore the endlessly fascinating lives who have enriched and informed our own. Join me and our sponsor, Ancestry, as we journey through your history. ACAST powers the world's best podcasts. Here's a show that we recommend. This is Roundabout Season 2, and we're back to share more stories from the road and the memories made along the way. We're talking rest stops, if we're stopping to get gas. 
You will be timed. <laughs> you will be right <laughs> Misguided plans. I grew up in the city, so I have like, you know, a healthy fear of real extreme darkness. <laughs> this was like wilderness. A lot of laughs. Y'all weird, but you, <laughs> yeah, you, you were different. Like you were real different, bro. I can't really put my finger on it. And so much more. Just goes to show that unexpected yeah. things sometimes are the best when it comes to a road trip. Roundabout Season 2, presented by Nissan, is live now with new episodes rolling out every Thursday. Listen and subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. ACAST helps creators launch, grow, and monetize their podcasts everywhere. ACAST.com <laughs>